to the 5-7 podcast. I'm your host, Pri, and today we are going to be talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her new Green Deal. Well, it's not exactly her deal because uh, there was a form of this beforehand, but she um, she's a very big supporter of it. And um, and we're going to we're going to talk about her, uh, where she came from. We're going to talk about the Green New Deal, and I'm going to give some statistics uh, statistics on um, on on pollution. So here we go. Um, I got all of my sources from NPR, Fox News, Forbes, uh, SierraClub.org, and BBC News World Asia. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez was born October 13, 1989 in New York, New York, the Bronx. She's the child of a Puerto Rican mother and father. She went to college at Boston University and graduated with an economics and international relations degree. She worked for Ted Kennedy for a while and then moved back home to help her family. To help her family, she became a waitress to make ends meet. She was uh, pretty much waiting tables and uh, and bartending. And I believe she was actually still bartending while she was uh, while she was running against uh, running against uh, Joe Crowley. Um, she worked as an organizer for Bernie Sanders in 2016, and uh, and then in 2018 she ran her own campaign to unseat Congressman Joe Crowley. He was uh, he was a, a ten term. Uh, Congress, uh, congressman from the 7th district and the 14th district. And he was practically, um, he was practically, he was like practically like the fourth guy from the top. It was a huge deal that, that she won. Um, you know, he didn't think that she stood a chance. They were actually supposed to have a debate and he didn't even bother to show up. He said that he was in, uh, he was out of town at the time, but people were able to find tweets that uh, placed him in New York uh, on the day that the that the uh, debate was supposed to take place. So, uh, so yeah, he completely underestimated her, and uh, and he was pretty upset uh, after he lost. And then she went on to win the general election uh, in in dramatic fashion. I mean, she absolutely annihilated um, her opponent. And uh, she became the youngest person in a uh, female in Congress right now at 29 years old. She's, uh, I believe, the first female millennial uh, to be elected into Congress. Um, and uh, it's it's really it, it, it's it's truly remarkable. You know, she she didn't have a lot of um, a lot of money. She was able to raise some money, but she was uh, she was actually saving it behind the bar, I think, in a bag while she was bartending, believe it or not. So it goes to show you, um, not to, uh, you know, underestimate, uh, you know, you know, your enemy or, or who you're running against. Cause you just never know. Uh, she had a solid campaign and, uh, and obviously she won as of recently, uh, her, and, and during the course of the podcast, I'll probably relate to her as uh, AOC or, um, or Alexandria. And, uh, so AOC and Ayana, Presley of Massachusetts currently right now are pushing back against a plan by House Democrats campaign arm to block progressive challengers from running against incumbents in and pri- party primary elections. Both of these women ousted members of their own party, criticized and recently disclosed policy by the Democratic National Campaign Committee, the DCC, DCCC, uh, to blacklist political firms that agree to work against sitting members of Congress. 
uh, calling the policy harmful to the party. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, it's absolutely unbelievable because the Democratic Party, you know, they always find, they're always trying to find a way to keep their own people uh, in power. The DCC's new, DCC's new rule to blacklist and back, I'm sorry, blacklist and boycott anyone who does business with primary challengers is extremely divisive and harmful to the party, uh, Ocasio-Cortez tweeted. The AOC, uh, AOC and fellow progressive challengers have campaigned to upend system of politics with big corporate ties. Joe Crowley, before his defeat, was considered a possible successor to then House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. He is now has a lucrative job as a corporate lobbyist, completely proving AOC's point that you know these people, these uh, you know congressmen or or uh, um, politicians. You know what they're doing is, you know, they get into power and then they get out and then they they lobby because they have, you know, some of these corporate interests in mind while they're in power. Um, you know, which is uh, which isn't what you're supposed to be doing because you're not supposed to having be having corporate interest in in mind while you're doing your job. You're supposed to have the American people in mind, and clearly, uh, you know, they're not doing that. So what they're trying to do is what the DCCC is trying to do is is tell these these firms these political firms like, you know, you are going to be blacklisted from working with us if you support anybody who tries to run against our, uh, our, our incumbents. And, uh, and it, it's brutal. The DCC stated that, that their mission is keeping to the party's newly won majority in the house by electing house Democrats, which includes supporting and protecting incumbents. So by protecting incumbents, they're saying that they're going to blacklist anybody who doesn't support their incumbents. In, in, in other words, keeping these people in power for, you know, an indefinite amount of time is pretty much what they want. AOC is most famously has most famously been a supporter of the green new deal. And here's what the New Deal is set to achieve. Millions of family-sustaining jobs, whether replacing lead pipes, weatherizing homes, expanding railways, or manufacturing wind turbines, millions of workers will lead the transition to a new economy. The jobs created must be high-road high union jobs with family-sustaining wages and benefits, safe working conditions, and training and advancement opportunities. Climate sanity a Green New Deal would help us swiftly transition to a clean... You know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and I'm going to um, I'm going to talk about this re- really quick, about the millions of family-sustaining jobs. And, you know, we all want this. We all want... You know, I want everybody to be successful. I want everybody to, to get up in the morning and have purpose and go do a job. And, and at the end of the day of their job, know that what they did during their eight-hour or nine-hour or 10-hour shift is enough money to, to put food on the table and, and to live at somewhat... Um, you know, uh, com- comfortable, not want to say comfortable lifestyle, but uh, I mean, uh, a lifestyle where you're not wor- wor- pinching pennies, you know, every single day or having to work two jobs to make ends meet, you know, everybody wants that, you know, and, and I want that for everybody. And un- unfortunately, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, we have some people that are working three jobs just trying to make ends meet. And you can blame um, you can blame many things, you know, lack of education, um, lack of mentorship from from family members or 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 just mentors in general. You can blame it on inflation, on having to try to live in uh, in in certain uh, parts of the United States. You know, I mean, 
the cost of living in San Francisco and in New York is absolutely through the roof. It's it's unbelievable, and you can't expect anybody to live in in those areas that are that aren't making uh, you know decent means. So yeah, everybody wants that, but how is that going to happen? You know, how can we, you know, how can we do that? How can we create these jobs? You know, replacing lead pipes. I mean, that should be that should be done anyways. Weatherizing homes. I mean, yeah, I, I get it. You can you can save money by 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 pl- playing less in your utilities, you know, but isn't, shouldn't that also be upon like the homeowner or the, the person who's living there? Like, what does the government have to do with that? I mean, I don't think the government should have anything to do with, with weatherizing your homes. Um, and yeah, sure. I, I, I know that they want to create new jobs, but where's the money going to come from, you know, to pay from these people? Are they are they going to have to tax the American people more to create these new jobs? You know, there's, there's no, uh, there's nothing solid that, that says that there's a plan on, on, on how to do this. Moving on climate sanity, a green new deal would help us swiftly transition to a clean energy economy by investing in smart grids for renewable energy distribution, encouraging energy efficient manufacturing and expanding low emissions, public transit. A Green New Deal would significantly significantly reduce climate pollution. Now, yeah, this is—I mean, it's—it's a, it's a great—it's a great idea. And we obviously we want to cut down on our on our emissions uh, footprints on the on the world, you know, because I mean, we live here; it, it's our—it's our planet, and we, you know, we need to take—we need to take care of our planet. Uh, but once again, you know, there's no, there's no, you know. Um, there's nothing here that says how that they're, how they're going to do this. And as you really think about it, shouldn't the government be doing this anyways? You know, as as looking for ways to upgrade and maybe make our our power grid more efficient. You know, maybe shouldn't there be, you know, like you know, like somebody, you know, like shouldn't the Department of Energy be be managing something like that? I don't know. We should probably look into that and see exactly what the Department of Energy is actually doing. Moving on, clean air and water. A Green New Deal would replace lead pipes, clean up hazardous waste sites, and reduce toxic air and water pollution from oil, glass, and gas, and coal. Those benefiting the most would be the communities of color and low-income families who today today endure disproportion, disproportionate exposure to toxins. Well, which is in, incredibly unfortunate. You know, kind of like in in Flint, Michigan, how they were dealing with uh, with unbelievably high levels of lead in their water. Um, you know, these things shouldn't happen. And once again, should that be considered a, a federal, a government problem, or should that be more of a local government problem, say at the state level? Like, shouldn't the state be, be managing things like that? And it's something to take into consideration. Lower cost. A Green New Deal would help working class families slash their energy bills and reduce their transit costs by offering more energy efficient homes, access to affordable wind and solar power, and more reliable options for affordable public transportation. I don't see that happening as of right now. Um, I think that there's way too much money in oil and there's too many powerful people in the um, in the oil business and the natural gas business that are just going to let that money go, unfortunately. Uh, it's more of a, co- a corruption issue than, say, maybe a federal government uh, not doing the right thing kind of a deal. But I'm sure that they have a... I'm sure that they have a, a hand in it, too. Um, let me see. 
community resilience. You know, hold on a second. Let me look at this one more time. I'm sorry. Solar power. Yeah, I love solar power. It should work. And actually, solar power is becoming becoming uh, much more affordable uh, these days. I believe that there's a lot more companies popping up that are allowing you to um, allowing you to put solar panels on your roof. And what they do is they put the solar panels on your roof, and then they I think they put a battery. At least in Tesla's case, they keep like a battery uh, in your garage, and I believe that power can sustain you for for about forty eight hours. I believe. So, um, so yeah, yeah, they, they offer that and they offer those on, you don't have to put the, the money up front. I think it ranges from 20 to $60,000 and you can, you know, you can make a, I think you can finance that and, and, and make payments on it. And as far as a public transportation, that's definitely at the state level. And, uh, we should be looking to our local communities and our, our, uh, our, you know, our mayors and uh, and the governor to see what they're doing about public transportation, because uh, in an, in a in a city like Chicago, you know, they get they have a lot of taxpayers, and in and and in Chicago they they kind of uh, in in a in a state like Illinois, like Chicago, kind of has like a big say in kind of how things are done, you know, taxes or what have you, and the smaller counties are. Um, are kind of kind of just dragged along and thought about second. So something needs to be taken into consideration for these smaller counties, uh, as well as these these larger ones. Moving on, community resilience. Communities need greater resources to ensure safety and growth amid rising climate risk. A Green New Deal would help climate-exposed communities build bridges that can withstand floods, restore wetlands, that buffer hurricanes and shield coastlines from this from sea level rise. Now, unfortunately, um, I think that it's a good idea, but I don't think that it's it's very realistic. And I'll tell you why is because when Mother Nature shows her face, you know she's uh, you know it's a sight to behold, and she's going to do what she wants to do. So you're not going to be able to 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 build like mad made i mean yeah sure we can probably build better irrigation systems to kind of route water and in flood flood instances but we're not going to be able to put money into um into completely you know hurricane proofing you know like the whole the whole town or the whole country uh even though that it's 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 a it's a good idea but i don't think that we would be able to do that Moving on, greater racial and economic equity. The, dispro- the disproportionate benefits of a Green New Deal will go to the working class families and communities of color that have endured disproportionate economic and environmental hazards for decades. A Green New Deal must counteract systemic racism and economic exploitation by giving hard-hit communities priority access to new job opportunities, cost savings, pollution cleanup projects, and climate resilience initiatives. Now, I, I agree that, we, you know, we, we could do something for, for people who feel that they've been systemically, um, you know, been, 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 been victims of, of, of racial impropriety, but instead of, you know, just handing people things for a new job, it's better to show them how to do it. Kind of like how it says in the Bible, teach a man, give a man a fish and feed him for a day. 
and teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime. And I think that's a better route of action or a course of action, I should say, to take to do this because if you just give somebody a job, you know, they're not going to appreciate it and they're not real. And to be honest with you, they're just not going to care. You know, what you have to do is create opportunities for, for these people. And it doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your skin is. It doesn't matter, you know, what your race is. What matters is, is if, if you are being, if you, if you, if, if you're being, you know, set aside in a way, you know, cause I mean, it happens to all kinds of people of color and, and race. Um, so for anybody, uh, everybody should get an opportunity to a better education. You know, if you look at universities these days, college tuition rates are absolutely through the roof. I think uh, Syracuse is like $70,000 a year. I think uh, U of I, University of Illinois, is like $80,000 a year, which is absolutely unbelievable. And um, yeah, sure, I'm sure you get scholarships, but how much covers you know all of that money? I mean, some people come out of college and they're $200,000 in debt and they're just sitting with this debt. So uh, just sending people to college doesn't work either. There has to be like some kind of mentoring problem, uh, mentoring, um, some kind of mentoring like classes or, or mentoring um, opportunities for people that have interest in certain things. Like say, you know, we need carpenters, we need, well, we need still steel workers, we need electricians, you know, kind of finding a way to maybe put more money into education so that they can gauge what people's interests are and kind of give them a better idea of what they can do when they get out of school. You know, like say like there's some kind of a test that says, you know, you're more technologically inclined. Maybe you should look into doing something with IT because it might, you, you might catch on to it quickly and have a, a better opportunity of finding uh, a lasting job and having fulfillment in your career. And then there's other people that are like, you know what, you're, you're very good with your hands and you're very good with building. Maybe you should be a, a carpenter. You know, they should have programs to help people see these uh, maybe types of opportunities so that they get, you know, pushed in the right direction, but it's up on them to, to actually do the work. And then after they complete the work, and complete like their apprenticeship. Maybe there's like some kind of a, like an entry level job for them to, you know, to, to work their way up. So, uh, I mean, these are, <clears throat> this is just, this is just me kind of spitballing, you know, my idea on, on, on what we could, uh, on what we can do, you know, to, to, to help, but just giving d- doesn't, isn't, isn't the solution, you know, it's, it's more of like a like a helping out type of of a deal. Like, hey, we'll give you this help, you know, to to get your, to, you know, to help you pay the bills or what have you. But then at a certain point, you need to start moving off on your own. And um, and and I I honestly think that maybe that could be a step in the right direction. But uh, but who knows? Moving on, infrastructure renewal. We have a major job creating opportunity to repair, upgrade, and expand our country's neglected roads, bridges, energy grid, and water systems. This is not only a matter of fixing what's broken, it's a chance to build a cleaner, more affordable, and more resilient infrastructure system that supports workers and frontline communities for coming generations. Specific projects in a Green New Deal infrastructure overhaul would include expanding access to light rail and low emissions public transit, 
replacing lead pipes once again, building a smart grid for increased wind and solar power, replacing stormwater systems to prevent flooding and toxic runoff, and restoring wetlands and other natural buffers that protect communities. Each project must fulfill high road standards. And you know what? This should be, these things should be, uh, should be on the docket already. You know, this shouldn't be part of some kind of a, of a new deal that, you know, a radical, I'm not going to call her radical like she's crazy, but like a, like a radical congresswoman comes out of nowhere and they're trying to, to fix all of these problems. You know, all of these problems should be on the docket already. And, uh, and, and, th- and there should be something from, from the government trying, trying to fix these things because it's, it's unbelievable, you know, that, that there's, that there's so many problems with, you know, toxic runoff and, and, and roads, you know, in Joliet, Illinois, they've got a bridge that's getting ready to freaking collapse and, and nobody's done anything about it yet. Moving on, create family sustaining jobs. Each project should be required to pay workers prevailing wages, hire locally, offer training opportunities and sign project labor agreements with unions. Yeah, this is another thing that's, that's kind of a kind of out there because uh, we have no idea where the money's going to come from. And it seems, this seems to be the running thing of the, of the Green New Deal is that there's like these really uh, good ideas, but there's no idea where the, where the money's coming from. Uh, tackle pollution and climate change. Priority should be given to projects that build resilience or reduce climate and local pollution. And the materials used should be climate resilient, energy efficient, and produced via clean manufacturing. Here's a possible problem with that. And yeah, it's, it's a great idea in theory, but um, you know, Brad Pitt's organization, I forgot the name of it. Uh, I, I meant to put it in here, but I, I forgot about it. I'll look it up and I'll post it on Instagram. But his organization, when Hurricane Katrina hit in New Orleans, he was, you know, kind of doing architecture on the side and he was designing these homes, these energy efficient, low cost homes for people. And they were great for like a few months. And then people started having problems with them. You know, they were, you know, the quality wasn't as high and, and they weren't built uh, very well. And they were, they were coming apart and, you know, they were getting insects and all these other little things. And I think a key problem with doing these energy efficient, low cost homes is that they aren't built correctly. They're not built to last. They're only built because they're cheap and they're energy efficient. That's it. And energy efficiency and, and being clean doesn't necessarily guarantee sustainment. And I think that could be a a big problem with that. Moving on level, the playing field priority should be given to projects that benefit low income families and communities of color with community benefit agreements used to ensure support for community defined, defined priorities. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I have no problem with, with helping people and families and, and communities of color. Uh, but I think that they need to, uh, come into the, maybe into the workforce to help the project, um, help the project move. I mean, if they're going to get, if they need workers, they should get workers from those local communities, because I think that'd probably be, uh, probably be the best and most fulfilling for those people. Help communities, not corporations. This infrastructure transformation should be large in scale, driven by public funds and spent on public infrastructure so that tax dollars support the resilience of communities, not the profit margins of CEOs. Okay, so 
yeah, in the end, the uh, the tax dollars, the tax dollars will probably, uh, the tax dollars will probably run this thing because there's always some kind of a loophole or something where people get out of money or and people get out of, get out of, you know, the responsibility, and it always falls on the taxpayers like every single time. Moving on, weatherize America. Here we go. Each time that a homeowner, business, or local government decides to weatherize a building, it supports jobs, slashes energy bills, and cuts climate pollution. A nationwide Green New Deal plan to weatherize buildings from coast to coast would create hundreds of thousands of retrofitting jobs, save families, billions of dollars, and move us closer to climate sanity. We could achieve these goals with new national energy efficiency standards for public and private buildings, with public investments to help energy utilities implement the standards. The building weatherization products projects enabled by this funding should be required to pay prevailing wages and focus training opportunities in working class communities. New national standards for more energy efficient appliances and industrial processes would create even more high road jobs in manufacturing and engineering while further cutting energy cost, toxic emissions, and climate pollution. And we're going to get into climate pollution uh, in a minute. In other words, they want to, uh, they want to weatherize everything. And, and I have no idea how, how they're going to do that. Uh, if you're clueless as to what this is, I mean, if you're clueless as to how this is going to go down, this is the whole point. This is the whole point is that this bill was introduced and there is there is nothing put forward on on how this would actually be implemented. But it's important to know and it's important to know what they're what they're putting out and what they're trying to do, because it's important to be informed uh, to, to know what's going on. So after you hear the podcast and you hear them mention the new Green Deal, you should have a, a decent understanding of what it is and um, and what they're talking about. Moving on by clean each year, the federal government spends billions of tax dollars to buy goods from steel for bridges to paper for offices. As part of a Green New Deal, a new buy clean law would ensure that these government purchases help fuel the transition to a clean energy economy and the creation of goods, good jobs for those who need them most. Buy clean standards who by I'm sorry, buy clean standards would require, for example, that tax dollars be spent on goods manufactured with clean and efficient practices that protect our air, water, and climate. These standards also would require that government contractors pay family sustaining wages, hire and train local workers, and locate job opportunities in working class communities and communities of color. It all sounds great, but you know what? There's a couple things here. The government should have any say on on how you spend your money or where you buy it. Yeah, they are saying federal government, but um, the, the contracts should be open to to absolutely to absolutely everybody. And what's going to happen is they're going to go for whoever's charging the less. The I'm sorry, the least. Moving on, I think that. Uh, I think that it's incredibly important for for us to kind of understand, you know, like the situation of, of what's going on. There's a lot of problems and uh, there's a lot of people who, who talk about the problems, but there's no solutions. Nobody comes out with like, hey, okay, this is the problem. This is what we're going to do to solve it. There's a lot of, hey, this is, um, this is what it is and uh, we're going to talk about what it is and uh, that's it. That's all that we're going to do. And 
and it's just not it's just it's just not working anymore so there's a lot of talk about climate change and there's a lot of talk about clean air and and us reducing our us reducing our climate footprint okay now I, yes granted back in the day the united states had a very very big pollution imprint uh, on the world but since we have done a great job of reducing that and uh, and we're going to continue to do uh, we're going to continue to be better because things tend to get better and better every year you would hope but i want to talk about the difference between the united states and two other countries and i want to talk about china and i want to talk about Ind- india because there's a lot of climate change talk and there's a lot of talk about us as Americans and pointing the finger on our coal use and our oil use and what we do and how we're killing the planet. And yes, it would be perfect if we can move to a 100% 100% sustainable green uh, initiative, a a green solution where we're not, we're using solar, we're using wind, we're using water to power uh, the country. And, and, Maybe you know th- that happens in the future, but if we can re- if we can reduce what we're doing as as of right now and and steadily decrease as we have been doing, I think that we're going to be fine. So in China, China struggles to contain thick whirling shrouds of smog. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to read from this article so that uh, so so that you hear what's going on in China here compared to the United States. China's struggles to contain thick rolling shrouds of smog have been well documented, despite public discontent and countless pledges from the authorities to tackle the problem. Air pollution in many cities has been pushed to over 20 times the safe limit on numerous occasions. Small airborne particles, called PM2.5, can harm the lungs when ingested, with the potential to cause asthma, cardiovascular disease, and cancer. That's how they measure in, in air pollutants, small airborne pollutant particles. They call them uh, the PM, PM 2.5. The World Health Organization said that anything over 10 micrograms per cubic meter of PM 2.5 should be considered hazardous. China's Ministry of Environmental Protection released a ranking of cities with the worst air pollution, showing the sheer scale of the problem. This, this uh, cities of, I almost said shitties, the cities of uh, Xingtai, uh, pardon me for not being able to um, pronounce these these Chinese uh, cities uh, correctly. Xingtai, uh, Shizhen, Huang, and Baoding have a two point a PM two point five level of one fifty five point two, one forty eight point five, and one twenty seven point nine respectively. Heavy levels of pollution can be primarily attributed to China's use of coal-fired power plants to fuel its economic growth. Seven of its top 10 most polluted cities are located in Hebei province near Beijing, a major industrial center home to the nation's steel industry, as well as heavy glass and cement production. How does the PM 2.5 levels of China, 10 most polluted cities compared to the worst of the worst in the United States? Here we go. The Washington Post took the top 10 U.S. cities for PM 2.5 and compared them to China's. The results speak for themselves. Bakersfield, California is considered America's worst city for air pollution with a PM 2.5 level of 18.2. 
that's some distance behind Xingtai's 155.2. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna read that again. Okay. In China, they're doing 155.2, and in the worst, absolutely worst, in the United States, we're doing an 18.2. It's unbelievable. I'm gonna read these cities. I'm gonna read the, these Chinese cities, and I'm gonna compare them to uh, to to the United States. Top 10 from China. And then the top 10 from uh, the U.S. Jingtai, 155.2. Bakersfield, California, 18.2. Zhenghuang, 148.5. Merced, California, 18.2. Boding, 127.9. Fresno, 17. Even. Handan, 127.8. Hanford, California, 16.2. Hangshui, 120.6. Los Angeles, 15.3. Tangshan, 114.2. Modesto, 15.2. Jian, 114. Visala, California, 15. All of these cities that I've named in the United States are in California so far. Langfang, 113. Pittsburgh, 18.2. Xi'an, 104.2, El Centro, California, 14. And Zhengzhou, 102.4, Cincinnati, Ohio, 13.8. Excuse me. Now, I lived in California for a few years, and the smog in Los Angeles on on a hot summer day was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, you could see, you could just see the, I don't know what's going on with me today. I wanted to say she you can see the smog in the air and it's, I mean, it was an unbelievable sight and they're saying that it's only at a 15.3. Could you imagine being in Zingtai at a 155.2? That's absolutely unbelievable. Now I'm going to move on to India. 14 of the world's most polluted 20 cities are in India. And I'm going to read them by the same measure. Number one, Kanpur, 173. That's almost 20 higher than uh, than China's, what was that, Zingtai? Hold on. Yeah, Z- Zingtai. Well, let me, hold on. Um, yeah, Zingtai, 155.2. Faridabad, 172. Varanasi, 151. Gaia, 149. Patna, 144. Delhi, 143. Lucknow, 138. Agra, 131. Muzaffarpur, 120. Seringar, 113. Juragan, 113. Jaipur, 105. Paitia, 101. Jodhpur, 98. Boding, 93. And these are the, those were the, we're getting into the Chinese cities now. But those are the, uh, I'll, I'll read the rest of them. Ulaanbaatar, 92. Hangshui, 87. Zingtai, 87. These are uh, Anyang, 86. Liao Chang, 86. So as you can see, the United States is absolutely nowhere near the um, climate murderers that you would think that we are. And, um, and I think that it's important to understand these statistics because... Um, we're not doing all that bad here. We can uh, we can definitely be better 
than what we're doing. We could always be better, but we are not as bad as, as, as you would think that we are here. What we do need to do is stop, uh, is stop polluting and throwing our trash in the world's oceans. Uh, that should be one thing that should be done in the United States and absolutely everywhere. Throwing your trash in the lakes, in the oceans is a freaking no-go. Um, and that should be um, not only in the United States, I'm sorry, that should be across the world and not polluting our, our waters and uh, cleaning up our trash and and for the United States government and, and, and all of these organizations to start putting uh, start putting their, their the pedal to the metal and pressuring China and India, you know, the top two, it looks like the top two polluters on, on polluting, polluting the world because they're doing it at, at record levels. And it's, uh, it's absolutely unbelievable. And the, the statistics, the statistics speak for themselves. Well, um, that's what I got for today, guys. Uh, got a lot for you to think about. And, uh, and I really appreciate, appreciate everybody listening to the podcast and, um, and supporting and supporting it. You know, we're going to be putting out, um, a lot of new, a lot of new information because we want to bring awareness to a lot of these subjects. We want to bring awareness to, to what's going on and to what's important. And, uh, and, um, and they're going to keep coming. Uh, traditionally we do interviews and, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to do as many interviews as I have been doing, but I'm going to be doing more informative, informative podcasts. Uh, and I'm going to be throwing in some book reviews too. I recently read Dan Pronk's book uh, called 70 kilogram dickhead. Uh, if you don't know at Dan, uh, check him out on Instagram at Dan Pronk, uh, D A N P R O N K. And I'm going to try and get him on the podcast. Uh, we we've been messaging on Instagram and I'm going to try and get like a live book read with them to, um, to go over his book. He was in the Australian special forces and, um, he had some, uh, incredible experiences and now he runs, he helps run a multimillion dollar, uh, tech, uh, a company called tech med. And, um, and, uh, think he's doing really great things and, uh, and it was a really great book and I think everybody will enjoy it. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to be throwing book reviews in there in here and, uh, I'm going to be mixing it up a little bit. And, uh, you know, Mike's going to be jumping in and, and bringing in his, uh, his copyrighted flair, uh, to the whole thing. And, uh, and on some of them, he's not going to be in because we've got a few things, you know, that we have going on, you know, uh, called life, you know, and, and, uh, so he's holding the line at his end and I'm going to hold the line at my end and my end, I'm sorry, my end. So, uh, so check us out at 57podcast.com. Uh, our podcast is located everywhere and, uh, check out our Instagram Facebook and Twitter. We're everywhere. And, uh, thank you everybody for the support and, uh, be prepared to mitigate your risk. This is pre out. Mm-hmm.